So, um, last year in, in February, uh, my, my cousin Terry Ann uh, passed away uh, after a 10 year battle with breast cancer. Uh, she was 55 years old. And then a couple weeks ago, uh, a year and a day, a year and a day, exactly a year and a day later, uh, my other cousin, his wife, Renee, she passed away after a 15-year battle with breast cancer. Uh, she's 49 years old. Uh, leaves behind uh, three kids. Um, one uh, who's in the military, uh, served in Afghanistan, and he's suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. She's got another son who's in college, and she's got a daughter who's in high school. And oftentimes when, when tragedy strikes, right, you, you spend a lot of time in prayer about it. You, you've all been there, right? You've been in the, the emergency room. You've been, uh, you got a phone call late at night. You've, you've had people who are struggling with stuff, and you've been praying and praying and praying. In fact, you've prayed for my cousin Terry Ann often. And it feels like sometimes that God doesn't answer or that God is silent. And when that happens, especially about an issue we've been praying quite a bit about, we, we often fall in two camps or we fall into two myths, right? And the first myth is this, is that um, prayer uh, depends on me. Or another way of putting it is uh, effective prayer depends on me, right? So that's the first myth. But the other myth is, is the opposite, right? The other myth is that uh, when prayer doesn't work, something wrong is wrong with God. And they're both myths, and they're both ones that we, we often fall into. And so I'll tackle the first myth first because it's, it's easier. And the first myth is that prayer, or the effectiveness of prayer, it depends on, on you. That's the first myth. And we see this in different religions. Islam's probably most famous for that. So in Islam, to pray effectively, to pray correctly, you pray seven times a day, and you face east towards Mecca, or south, southeast from here, right? And you pray a certain prayer for a certain amount of time, and if you do those things, then your prayer has a better chance of being effective. Right? And as followers of Jesus, we're like, ah, that's so silly. That's so silly. But we have our own myths. Some people say, you know, if you want your prayer to be effective, you really should fast. That's how you get effective prayer. Or if you want your prayer to be effective, what you need to do is pray for a certain amount of time of prayer. You have to pray for a certain amount of time to do, to do it right. Uh, a myth I heard just a couple months ago was to have a prayer be effective, you need a certain number of people praying for the prayer. The number I heard was 30. I don't know why 30, but it's a good number, right? It's a lot of people. But the myths, all different versions of the myth, it's the same thing. Effective prayer depends on you. And it's a myth. It's not to say that fasting isn't important, or spending a fair amount of time in prayer is not important. Those things are important, but not to get what you are asking for. It's not important for that. And to illustrate my point, how many of you have ever been asked something by a kid. If you want to learn how to pray, watch a kid. And a kid will teach you how to pray. Because kids know how prayer works. 
First, they start with this. They find someone they have a relationship with who loves them. And then they ask. That's it, right? So a child comes up to you and says, I would like a bike. Mm -hmm. If some random kid comes up to you, you're like, good luck with that, buddy. I'll be praying for you. That's what you say, right? I'll be praying for you, right? But it's someone you know, someone you love, and they say to you, I would love a bike. You're going to consider that request. It's a good prayer. It's a good request. I would like a bike. Well, of course you would. Now imagine if a child came up to you and said, I would like a bike. A bike is what I would like. A bike, oh, thou dearest heavenly father, a father or mother or aunt or uncle, a bike is what I would appreciate. In fact, I recruited 30 of my friends, and they're going to ask you to give me a bike as well. And so you got 30 people going, we want the bike, we want the bike, we want the bike, we want the bike. They may even think of a song about it, right? Oh, thou giver of bikes, please give a bike. Amen. Right? Which request is more effective? And the answer is, it don't matter. Because it's all about relationship. It's all about the relationship that you have with the person making the request. And sometimes we treat God like he's the divine pinata, right? If I just beat it hard enough, the piñata gives me what I want. If I just knock it and knock it and knock it, because I gotta do something for this. It's not about that. It's about relationship. The second myth is harder. Those times when you pray and pray and pray, and it feels like God has said it, or the answer is no. And you go, well, was it me that did not pray long enough, did not pray hard enough, did not fast, did not do all these things? You go, no, I don't think that's it. So, so what is the answer? I want to share with you a great passage from John chapter 15, where Jesus talks about prayer. He has these words here. He says, I am the true vine. My father is a gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you, and so remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers, and such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. 
If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. And I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. The greater love has known that this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you're my friends. You do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. And you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. So this is my command. Love each other. This is the word of our Lord. Jesus invites us not to, to be, but rather remain. Not to remain in relationship as a branch remains in a vine. And because of that, he says those powerful words, ask whatever you want, and it'll be given to you. And you're like, well, okay, I show you to do that. One million dollars, right? But as you remain in the vine, you're like, you know, I don't need that because God cares for me. And God provides for me. What about those times? It's time to be praying for someone who's, who's young. They pass away. And there's no reason you can possibly think of for why this could happen. And I look at my, my cousin's family, and, and they're a mess right now. They're a mess. <coughs> You think, Lord, why? What were you thinking that this happened? For the parable about how our lives are like a tapestry. And you look at the back of a tapestry and you'll see all the knots and the strings all tied together and the back of a tapestry looks like a mess. And you can't see what's going on at all. But you go to the front of the tapestry, it's a beautiful pattern. It's a beautiful image. And it's often a parable of what our lives are like. That we often see the knots in the backside and God sees the complete picture of the whole tapestry. And the work that God is doing. You heard that one before? Parents do use that one all the time. Yeah. It's nice. It's true. But when you're in the midst of tragedy, it feels trite. And so when you pray, and it feels like God is silent. And you're looking for answers, and there are no answers. Where do you go? Where do you turn to? What's helped me out over the years is, is asking this question. What do I know is not true? And this is the beautiful thing. Because of Jesus' death on the cross for me and for you and for my family, what I know is not true is that these tragedies happen not because they did something wrong. 
there's something wrong with them, or there's something wrong with their prayers, or we did something incorrectly or improperly. I know that's not the answer. So the first myth is busted because of the cross of Jesus Christ. But it gets better. Because, because of the resurrection of Jesus, I know the second myth isn't true. That Jesus is powerful. That Jesus is loving. That Jesus does care. And that Jesus has answered all of our prayers. Because, in, because of the resurrection, ultimately, they're all answered yes. It's a famous saying, it says that sometimes we pray God answers yes, or God answers no, or God answers not yet. And if you're praying for, you know, a million dollars, God's going to answer no because he loves you and doesn't want to do that to you. If you're praying for someone else and health and things like that, it's always not yet. It's not yet because of the resurrection. One day, one day death itself is reversed. And one day Alzheimer's will be no more. And cancer will be kicked to the curb. And Parkinson's will be eliminated. One day. And as we remain in the vine, we say, Lord Jesus, there's stuff going on in my life I just don't understand. And it feels as if I have nothing except you, Lord God. You're all I need. The cross, you've taken care of my past. And through the resurrection, you've cared for my future. And because of that, I don't have to operate out of fear or regret any longer. And so when we say those words, Jesus Christ died and rose for you, we're proclaiming more than just forgiveness. We're proclaiming and sharing and living in and rejoicing in a God who has covered up our past and forgiven our sin and eliminated our shame and a God who walks forward with us in the future. It's going to be good. You're going to be all right. Cousins are going to be okay. Because Jesus Christ died and rose for them. And what Jesus says is simply this Remain. Remain. Remaining in His promises. Remain in his grace. Remain in his providing. Remain in his forgiveness. And then, this is the odd thing. As you remain, he sends you out. 
He sends you out into lives of people who are going through the same stuff you're going through. They're afraid. They don't know what's going on. And they're, they don't, they're afraid of the future. And they're worried about the past. And as it were, you, you kind of invite them to, to get grafted in. You say, you know what? Come on in. And I don't have all the answers for you. But I know what the answer isn't. And I know who Jesus is. That Jesus is the one who died and rose for you. Loves you. So let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, in the midst of things we, we don't understand, Lord, may we cling to your cross, to your resurrection. Lord God, in the midst of all those prayers and all those questions of why, Lord, may you invite us to ask where. Lord God, where were you? Where were you? And Lord, may we see where you've been on the cross dying for us. And may we see where you are risen, resurrected, alive, victorious for us. And Lord God, because of that, may we remain in you. May all of our wise remain in you. And may we ask where? Where are you in the midst of all this, Lord God? May we see you dead, risen, 